0: This is the Sideline Distant Podcast, coming to you from YouTube and iTunes, follow me on Twitter as always, at the Brad Whitaker. I am TheBradWhitaker, uh, lots to talk about today, uh, I'm, I'm going to keep these podcasts a little bit shorter, uh, I've been noticing I've been gaining a little more traction with shorter podcasts, shorter segments, and I often find myself repeating myself a lot, so going to try to keep this to a minimum uh my first topic today talking about Brock Osweiler this just broke about an hour ago um the Houston Texans quarterback is no longer going to be in Houston he was traded to the Cleveland Browns for a second round pick now I know what you're probably thinking Cleveland what the hell are you doing you're bringing in another failed quarterback or or Another quarterback that will fail in Cleveland, but take it easy. It sounds like Cleveland is just going to cut him. They're going to take the cap hit, and I don't know how how much they'll be losing, but uh, it, it's a pretty big amount, the cap hit, of bringing in Brock Osweiler. That being said, they they did bring in a second-round pick, and this has been a team that's been stockpiling assets for the last couple of seasons. They they brought in a lot of draft picks for the Philadelphia Eagles last year when they uh, traded traded down uh, so the Eagles could pick up Carson Wentz. And, uh, yeah, Cleveland Cleveland will likely cut uh, Brock Osweiler, it sounds like, and they will also uh, cut Robert Griffin III. So that will ease up the, the cap hit a little bit, uh, getting rid of RG3. Uh, so what does that mean for Cleveland at the quarterback position? If uh, they just brought in Osweiler to uh, to get that second-round pick and they're just going to cut him, take the cap hit, cut RG3, uh, what does that mean for both teams, actually? What, what are the Houston Texans now going to do at quarterback? Obviously, the rumor is about uh, Tony Romo. It sounds like he's, uh, yesterday, uh, it sounded like the Cowboys were going to release him. I even titled one of my videos on YouTube, Cowboys Will Release Tony Romo. It sounds like that's not the case. They're actually going to try to get something in return for him, and it sounds like the two teams are Houston and Denver, so uh, that makes it a little easier for Tony Romo to be brought in. I still think there's a good chance that Jimmy Garoppolo will go to Cleveland, but this is interesting. Uh What's going to happen now in Cleveland and in Houston? Uh, because a, a name that a quarterback that's the latest hit—he's kind of the Brock Osweiler of last year—and I have a feeling uh, this team might regret picking him up. Mike Glennon—he was a backup for Tampa Bay. I still don't get what the obsession is for him. He was signed by the Chicago Bears. There were rumors about him going into Cleveland uh, and among other teams uh, for three years, forty-five million dollars with a $19 million, uh in guaranteed money for what's for someone who will be considered a bridge quarterback between Jay Cutler and the next potential franchise quarterback for Chicago. So uh, it doesn't sound like the Bears are going to get Jimmy Garoppolo. That was a rumor. That was one of the other teams, you know, and it made a lot of sense because uh, Garoppolo, I believe, is from Illinois, or he played at Eastern Illinois. Uh, so I thought that would have been a good fit, and Cleveland never seems to be a good fit for anyone. Uh, but yeah, so Mike Glennon is off the market. Three years, $45 million, $19 million guaranteed. Uh, something that I thought about, though, it, could the Houston Texans go after uh, Jimmy Garoppolo? I think it makes a lot of sense. Now, uh, they just traded their second-round pick. I don't know what else they have uh, for draft picks that they could trade to New England. Uh, But, you know, Belichick doesn't obsess over first-round picks. I think he would probably like the 12th overall pick, and it sounds like they were asking for a 12th overall and a first-rounder next year for Cleveland. And Cleveland's only willing to give up the 12th pick uh, for Jimmy G, which just isn't enough when you think about what the Rams gave up for Jared Goff and the number one pick, and the Philadelphia Eagles gave up for Carson Wentz last year. And, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me because Cleveland getting a franchise quarterback – it uh, should be a number one priority. It just hasn't worked out there. And I think Jimmy Garoppolo is the guy. A lot of people haven't bought into him playing only six quarters. But what else do you need? You have all his college film. He has three years under the New England system. Uh, I think he would be attractive for the Houston Texans. You know, that is a former half that coaching staff are expatriates and a coaching staff that succeeded in New England, too. And uh, Bill O'Brien, uh, he wants to run a more complicated system, which he couldn't run under Brock Osweiler, immediately Jimmy Garoppolo would be ready to fill that role. I don't know who they trade. I think Nick Wright was floating out a rumor, straight up Jimmy Garoppolo for DeAndre Hopkins. I don't think that'll happen because New England doesn't value wide receivers, and uh, for obvious reasons, it's worked out pretty well. They, they pay as much for all of their receivers as the Steelers are now paying for Antonio Brown, uh, so New England puts their priorities el- elsewhere. Uh, but if Houston could get a deal for Jimmy Garoppolo, I think that would immediately put them as the as second best team in the AFC. Hell, if, if they get Tony Romo, too, I'd, I'd say the same thing. Uh, but again, it sounds like Romo will need to actually be traded for instead of being cut. But by the time I upload this video, that could change. So Dallas keeps going back and forth on that. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if the Texans go after Jimmy Garoppolo now if they can't bring in Tony Romo or they're going to pursue it at least, and uh, that also might put pressure on the Cleveland Browns, who again will only give up the 12th overall pick for Jimmy Garoppolo, apparently, according to a report, and the Patriots obviously want more, and they have all the leverage, so we'll see what happens there, but it's interesting, Uh, Brock Osweiler, apparently uh, Cleveland's going to cut him, as I just mentioned earlier, and what will that mean uh, for him, I don't know. I guess teams are already calling Cleveland about bringing in Osweiler. I don't love Brock Osweiler. He's not accurate. Uh, he's he's almost too tall at the quarterback position. Doesn't make great decisions a lot of the time. But then again, it's slim pickings at quarterback all over the league. So you have to think there are some teams that could want him. Although, apparently, the Cleveland Browns do not. <laughs> Few things I I dislike more from the NBA media than the constant MVP debate, which seems to start in the first week of the season. Uh, But it makes more sense around this time of year to actually start talking about who should be the league MVP, and it's. I'm so tired of the narrative that if Russell Westbrook does manage to average a triple-double, you have to give him the MVP. No, you don't. Because if you've ever watched Russell Westbrook play, if you've ever looked at his stat sheet beyond just those three metrics, uh, he gets his over 80%, closer to 90% of his rebounds come uncontested. And it makes sense why. First of all, Oklahoma City, they want him to get those triple-doubles. His teammates let Westbrook get the rebound, but also defense's Uh, play very conservatively in in going for offensive rebounds against Oklahoma City because they, they do like to start their transition offense from Russell Westbrook. So he gets to rebound often on foul shots or defensive rebounds that are uncontested and then he tries to push it up the floor himself. And that's part of the reason he gets a lot of assists too because he drives and kicks it out. Uh, and, You know, as you saw, Russell Westbrook, he can have a career high, but his team still loses the game. You saw this when Kobe had no help. He was having, even the game he scored 81 points against Toronto, that was a close basketball game when it shouldn't have been. So, you're seeing a lot of the same stuff from Russell Westbrook. Uh, I'm not saying he's not a talented player, but... Look at his usage percentage. It's I don't think there's ever been anyone that's been over 40%, used up more than 40% of their team's possessions and just from one player. There's five players on the floor, and then you have a deep bench, and Russell Westbrook uses up over 40% of the plays on himself. So you have to take that into consideration. And then the Thunder, they're not going to win 50 games. I don't know. Is there never been an MVP that's uh, been on a team that's lost – I mean that that's one less than fifty games. I don't think it's happened, so you know i i I don't understand how okay, if Westbrook automatically gets a triple double average then he automatically gets the MVP. That's, that shouldn't be how it works because of the ways he gets rebounds, the ways he gets assists. He's not getting... There was a time Rajon Rondo, I think this happened in Boston, it might have happened in Dallas, even Sacramento, uh, he didn't average a triple-double, but like early in the season, or there'd be like a one-month stretch where Rajon Rondo would average a triple-double. And I think that was a hell of a lot more impressive because R- Rondo wasn't getting... Most of his rebounds uncontested, and he wasn't—he's not a shooter, so he wasn't getting his assists from driving and kicking it back out the same way Westbrook does. So I thought that was a hell of a lot more impressive of a way to average a triple double than the way Westbrook's been doing it. Not saying Rajon Rondo should be an MVP candidate ever, but it's—it's uh, it's silly the way Westbrook gets his stats and he stuffs the number sheet. Uh, James Harden. I think he's a watered-down Russell Westbrook. I think he can pass the ball a lot better. He's not limited just to driving and kicking. He gets his re- a lot of his rebounds uncontested, but it's nowhere near the same. His use- usage percentage is in the low 30s, not the low 40s, unlike Westbrook. So I think you can definitely make a bigger case that James Harden deserves the MVP, uh, but he can't play defense, and we've known that forever. Uh, and, like, I, I, I would say right now I'd probably put James Harden second in the MVP race, and uh, maybe Westbrook third or Kawhi Leonard third, but here's the thing. The San Antonio Spurs are 4-1 and one without Kawhi Leonard, and if you look at the numbers... Everyone's like Kawhi deserves the MVP because his offensive numbers isn't quite at Harden, LeBron, or uh, Westbrook's level, but he plays defense better than everyone. But if you actually look at the numbers, the Spurs are a better team defensively, at least this season, with Kawhi Leonard off the floor. So he actually compensates so much offensively that their defense suffers a little bit uh, more so than when he isn't... uh, the defense performs better when Kawhi Leonard is off the floor. I know that sounds crazy, but that's just what the numbers say. And then you look at LeBron James. The Cavaliers are 0 and 5 this year when LeBron hasn't played. And since 2014, I know you do you you go year by year on MVP stuff, but the Cavaliers have been 4 and 20 without LeBron James in the lineup. That should be everything you need to know. All right. I think the debate should not be LeBron, Kawhi, Harden, and uh, Westbrook. It should be LeBron and Harden for the MVP race. Simply because Kawhi Leonard has not been as effective on the other end on the defensive end of the ball as he's been in years past. Russell Westbrook, he's not on a team that wins a lot of games and he gets the vast majority of his rebounds uncontested and his assists basically come from his usage percentage and his ability to drive to the hoop, collapse the defense, and kick it back out. James Harden, on the other hand, he doesn't play great defense, but I think his offensive numbers definitely should be enough uh, because of the way he gets rebounds and assists. Um, That offense is very one-dimensional, similar to OKC. They run a lot of... ISO plays at the top of the key, set high screens, uh, but James Harden has the ball. Uh, His usage percentage is below Isaiah Thomas, so that should tell you that he's a little bit more of a legitimate MVP contender than Westbrook, and uh, uh, he's on a better team, obviously. But more importantly, uh, LeBron James, the impact he makes when he's off the floor or on the floor, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, even if Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love and J.R. Smith and Andrew Bogut are out for the playoffs, I would still pick the Cavaliers to win the Eastern Conference. You, you put all those guys on the floor and then you take out LeBron, the Cavaliers are probably not even making the conference finals. That's how much of a difference LeBron James makes, uh, but I'm sick of this MVP debate. LeBron should have won it his second or third year in the league and won it every year ever since. Uh, It's silly at this point. He's the most valuable player because of what his team does when he's on the floor and what his team does when he's off the floor. So much NFL news coming out uh, these last few days with free agency going on and and lots of trades. And uh, I'm not a big fan of talking about wide receivers, uh, but I am interested in receiving cores. And I do think uh, there there is something to be said about the wide receiver position. As long as everything else is taken care of on the team, then you can start getting a little greedy at wide receiver. You don't just pay an arm and a leg for a receiver unless your team has the pieces already put together. And uh, I'm interested, I'm intrigued by the New York Giants. Uh, They're bringing in Brandon Marshall. And then uh, today the Tampa Bay Buccaneers added Deshaun Jackson. So the real question is, the NFL is a year-by-year league. A team will be in the Super Bowl one year and they'll miss the playoffs the next Unlike the NBA. So, you know, even a team like the Cleveland Browns and only won one game, if they can strengthen their O line and their D line, draft uh, Miles Garrett and uh, bring in a franchise QB, suddenly they're contending in the AFC North. So I, that's the way the NFL works. And uh, I'm looking at what the Giants, how much they improved on the defensive end last year and the way the Tampa Bay Bucks improved. Uh, now they have. A deeper receiving core and it's it's intriguing to see what they're going to do um, Tampa Bay again their defense is younger they're getting better um, they began peaking around like week 12 13 14 uh, last season and, and there's a lot of upside for that defense and then the New York Giants just spent a shit ton of money uh, last offseason to bring in a lot of free agents and a lot of those guys are still there uh, so they're paying for their defense uh, but now they have Brandon Marshall on the offensive end uh, to basically act as a babysitter for Odell Beckham. That's really why they added him. I'm sure Marshall's not the same receiver he was three years ago, but he still can contribute at a high level. Um, and then Deshaun Jackson, uh, Mike Evans, he had a breakout year last season, and uh, I would expect now that uh, Deshaun Jackson, now that Tampa has that, Deep threat that they lacked so much, and then they got this big-ass receiver in Mike Evans. Ooh, that's going to be tough to beat. But the real issue is two teams with two great defenses, two elite-level defenses, and uh, competent quarterbacks. I think Eli Manning is a competent quarterback, certainly, and he's obviously shown signs of greatness in the past. And Jameis Winston's continued to get better and better and better, and his decision-making – Still isn't great, but it also has gotten better. Uh, The real issue is the offensive line for the Buccaneers and for the New York Giants. Pro Football Focus ranked the New York Giants 20th overall, their O-line last season, and they ranked the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offensive line 23rd. So unless, both of these teams need to figure out how to strengthen their O-line, and if they don't do that, then they're not going to be able to contend in the NFC. That's just what it comes down to. They have the defenses that can contend. They have quarterbacks that can contend. And they certainly now have receiving cores that can contend. Um, Giants, Giants O-line is not that bad. They have a good interior front. Uh, Weston Richburg, their center. Justin Pugh, their left guard. Uh, but they need to get better, better at the tackle position on both the left and right side. And New York has been trying to d- draft O-linemen for the last five years. And it hasn't worked out. Uh, so I would set their their offseason priority on drafting some good tackles uh, or, or at least bringing in some free agents. Uh, but again, the Giants, they've struck out a lot on drafting line uh, O-linemen these last few seasons. If they can get that together even slightly, suddenly they can contend in the NFC. Uh, the Bucks they have a 30-year right guard, uh, Ollie Marpet. He looks incredible. And then they have uh, Joe Hawley and DeMar Dotson, both competent center and right tackle. Uh, but the real issue for Tampa is their blindside. Their left tackle, Donovan Smith, is not very good. And when Jameis Winston has a weak blindside for a quarterback that will fumble a lot, throw a lot of interceptions, and doesn't always make the best decisions, you need a strong blindside. And I think that's it. As long as Tampa... I think the Giants have a lot more to rebuild, and they've made a lot of bad decisions at the O-line the last few years. Uh, but that's it for the Bucks. If they can... Get a good left tackle either in the draft or through free agency or something. Someone that Jameis Winston can trust on every down. That might be all you need. You know, Tampa was a borderline playoff team this past year. And most of it had to do with their defense and Jameis Winston getting better. And and obviously Mike Evans uh, was uh, doing so much on the offensive end. But, you know, now that they have Sean Jackson that can stretch the defense a little bit. All you need is a good left tackle, and suddenly the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are one of the teams to beat in the NFC. That's it. So, uh, yes, I would be encouraged, Giants fans, about your defense. They're they're more they're older veterans. They're smart, and that's what the Giants like. They love they love throwing in disguises on nearly every play. And uh, Tampa Bay, not they're younger, so they're not their defense isn't quite as complex. Uh, So, you know, a good scheme like Dallas, a good offensive scheme uh, with a smart coach and lots of weapons can beat Tampa's defense, but now they're going to have another year under their belt. So I would expect them to improve again. If you can help James Winston's blind side, I think that's all you need. And suddenly the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are the team to beat. These are two teams that'll be fun to watch. I think They probably made the—both teams made the right moves at the wide receiver position. But again, it's all about that O-line. If you don't have a good O-line, you're not going to be able to contend. So that's it for today's podcast. I'll be back next week. I'm sure lots of shit will happen in the NFL before then, so I'll be there to break that down. And the NBA season's coming to a close. More MVP debate. Uh, my Boston Celtics beat the Warriors last night. Uh, they're looking good. That defense is designed to defend the best perimeter teams in the NBA, so who knows what they'll do. They're tr- they lack consistency, though. That's the only problem. Uh, so until next week, I bid you adieu.